Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Within the first minute or so of getting to know somebody, there are a few ways I identify myself. My name, Nicole. I'm from Tennessee, and I'm a Prince fan. When I told my mom I was working on a podcast about Prince, I asked her if she remembered when I first started talking about him or listening to his music. She said she couldn't remember, that he'd always been there. When I graduated from high school, we had to give the principal a single sentence to be read as we crossed the stage. Mine was, I want to thank God, Prince, and Chocolate for helping me make it through. My mother was very upset with me for years for mentioning Prince instead of family. My little heart has pumped purple for a very long time, and I always get so excited whenever I meet other Prince fans. We are a special breed of fandom. Prince fans don't really have a name for themselves, like Beyonce's Hive or Rihanna's Navy, and we don't really have a look, but we always recognize each other somehow. You might see a flash of purple in the back of their hair or hear them drop song lyrics randomly into conversation. Then you ask, oh, do you like Prince? And they'll go, yeah, how'd you know? Then for a few moments or a lifetime, a funky bond is formed. As big of an admirer as I am, there are plenty of people who are way bigger fans. I'm talking collectors, people who have been to every tour, people with tattoos, And we also have the fans who stick to certain eras of Prince's music, or the ones who only have surface knowledge but want to know more. We come in every shade of purple, but we always know each other. In a lot of ways, we speak the same secret language. This is The Prince Mixtape, and I'm your host, Nicole Perkins. Today, we're going to get into all the ways we love Prince, even when it seemed like he didn't love us back. I have some really good friends with a range of Prince fandom between us. When thinking of this episode and who I wanted to talk to about being fans of Prince, Mickey Cheek and Rashad Mobley immediately came to mind. Both of them have been fans since childhood. For Mickey, Prince is the only artist she collects memorabilia of, and Rashad once used the title of a Prince song, Sexy MF, as his online handle. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do? 
My name is Rashad. By day, I am a technical writer. And by night, I am a sports writer. I'm Mickey. I work in human resources. I've been working in human resources like a smooth 20 years now, which says a lot about my gray hair. (laughs) When you let someone know that you like Prince or that you're really into his music, what's the reaction people tend to give you? I think there's sometimes an assumption that um, (laughs) you're a little freaky if you like Prince. I think it's too easy of a correlation to make. And I think that's a reach sometimes. So people are like, oh, you like Prince. It's like, that means what? Mm -hmm. Nothing. It just means I like Prince. (laughs) What's the big deal? When I was much younger and I told people I like Prince, especially in my family, they thought he wasn't into God, which is hilarious, or that he was gay and that. I didn't want to be like that. And I was like, well, he's good at what he does, whatever it is he's doing. And why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Because I do. Like me, their love goes beyond Purple Rain. And it's too easy for us to nerd out and fall into a deep Prince rabbit hole, avoiding a few tricky areas along the way. The Love Symbol album, he like would throw in the guy who raps, right? Which is... But, you know... We're not interested. No. <laughs> We're not going to talk about Prince's foray into rap. No bars. No. <laughs> One thing most of us hardcore Prince fans have in common is knowing exactly where we were the moment we first saw him and how that made us feel. How did you discover Prince? What is your first memory of grooving to Prince? Mickey. Oh, I don't even know that my first memory is grooving as much as it was staring. My parents had a multi-level audio radio stereo system. And so on the very bottom, all the the vinyl was at the bottom. And the Prince album, that cover, he's, you know, against this sky blue background with no shirt on and his hair's out and, you know, his little hairy chest and everything. (laughs) (laughs) We had that album. And so I remember pulling that album off of the shelf and just staring at it because he's staring back at you. Like, who is this man? And then also it opened up to a picture of him riding a Pegasus with no shirt on. <laughs> so <laughs> so I don't want to get fixated on the no shirt part, but it was just, like I said, visually striking. I, I just remember being totally drawn to that album cover multiple times and repeatedly. Rashad? So for me, 1999 was played on Soul Train. And I remember there was a specific part where there were three slaps that sounded like somebody was getting slapped. Keep in mind, I was like eight at the time, and I used to tell my dad, that sounds pretty cool. He was like, well, this is Prince. You need to listen to everything, not just people getting slapped or what you perceive to be slapped. And so I listened, and I was like, yeah, he's okay. And Purple Rain came out the next year. And then I was like, okay, I love this. Right, but like, why did the slaps like move you so much? What's going on? (laughs) Well, I can't answer that question. That's a different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Those first few early experiences of Prince are often very sensual and overwhelming. Even before we knew what that feeling was, it was there thumping inside us like heartbeats. Prince had an undeniable, raw sexuality about the way he moved his hips, the way he crooned, the way he handled his guitar. 
Maybe we didn't have words for all of that back in our younger years, but we knew there was something alluring and tantalizing that we wanted more of. For a lot of us, even if we heard his music first, it wasn't until we saw him that we officially signed our lives away in purple ink. The music videos sealed the deal. Like the way he whipped that purple trench coat in 1999 like a cape, or the way he rose, seemingly naked, from the bathtub in When Doves Cry. It was a pure distraction, and it was all visual. It was almost like it was mute, like I wasn't even hearing what was being sung (laughs) as much as I was just watching the way he moved and the way he looked. What was it about his looks that stunned you? Oh my gosh, like look look at him. Like it's just <laughs> how can you not be? I feel like he just demands your attention. Like the way he dances, the way he sings, the way he looks. In that particular video, you know, why you want to treat me so bad? It's like, you know, his hair is all flowing and feathery and bouncy and I mean, who's looking away from that, right? Like <laughs> I mean, not me. Oh my goodness, the video for Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad often gets overlooked, but it is pure 1979. Prince's hair is feathered like a Charlie's angel. He's wearing these skin-tight jeans that look like leggings with a handkerchief tied to a thin belt around his waist and another around his right knee, plus scarves on his mic stand, so there's constantly fluttering all around him from his head to his feet. He's shirtless, but wearing a blue and red striped sleeveless cropped jacket. His movements are more Mick Jagger than James Brown, but he's wearing a collection of thin gold necklaces that look so good against his skin and that hairy chest, and it's impossible to look away. He is mesmerizing. That's the first time that I felt that somebody was like sexy. And I, you know, as a seven or eight year old, you you don't know how to feel about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Rashad, when was the point for you that you realized, oh, he is saying some provocative stuff? It was 1984. I was reading a book called Our Bodies Ourselves, which is a book about women in their bodies. And first of all, there are a lot of great pictures in there for an eight, nine year old boy. (laughs) But there was something about masturbation in there. Once I figured out how to pronounce it and I said it out loud, I realized that I had heard Prince say that a young lady, Nikki, was masturbating with a magazine. And just the fact that I was masturbating, (laughs) it was in the book, and Prince mentioned it, just made me feel like, okay, this guy, he's me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, he's, you know, he's talking about something that I know about, I'm discovering, and now I'm, I'm putting it all together. That means a lot when you are eight, nine years old. One of the things I've noticed in talking to people over the years about Prince is how often people say, I recognize part of myself in his songs or in what he was talking about. So for you as a a young boy to be like, oh, somebody else is doing this thing that I'm doing. I don't know if you were necessarily thought, oh, maybe that makes it okay or whatever, but just still like recognizing yourself in Prince I think that's significant. And that's definitely one of the reasons why I felt connected to Prince is that I felt like he had the same kind of conflict with being a sexual person and being a spiritual or religious person and trying to like 
navigate this world where everyone's telling you, no, you shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't say this. But your body is telling you, actually, this feels really good and I want this. So that's part of why I got connected to him. I I recognized part of myself in him. He addresses that in his song, Temptation, too. That duality between being a sexual being, but being very Mm -hmm. much about the Lord. Temptation is a perfect song that can explain the nature of Prince's early catalog. Released in 1985, it's an 8-minute, 17-second suite that starts off as a Gulf Coast bluesy rock strip club anthem in which Prince sings about his addiction to sexual temptation and lust. Then the heavy guitar and Prince's frenzy trademark screaming fades away. His voice becomes shaky and urgent in need of his fix. The sounds of a gospel piano and a trumpet dipped in jazz rise as a voice, a deep, heavenly voice, scolds him and threatens him with death. Oh, silly man, that's not how it works. You have to want it for the right reasons. I do. You don't. Now die. Prince fights the voice, but in the end, he is humbled. He's learned love is more important than sex. Sorry. I'll be good. This time I promise. Love is more important than sex. Now I understand. In an earlier episode, Prince's engineer Susan Rogers suggested that he liked to redeem himself after his overtly sexual music by highlighting his faith. The song Temptation speaks directly to that theory. For me, hearing Prince's duality of sexuality and spirituality helped make me feel less alone. Through seeing parts of ourselves in Prince, people like me and Rashad have been liberated in a way, not to be ashamed of our desires, to do what we want, not what we think we should want. Prince had that kind of power. As some of us fans got older and grew up with Prince, his music and his energy also became a sort of training manual. I just looked at Vanity and Apollonia and Sheila E. You know, it's like there's something to it. Plus, when I was in college, all the women loved him and had posters of him and listened to his music when they wanted to have sex. So (laughs) um, I was very cognizant that this person has something that perhaps I can learn from either via his music or his videos or something like that. This story from Rashad reminds me of something writer and superfan Anil Dash told me. Anil, who you might remember from previous episodes, also felt like Prince was some sort of guide. It's intertwined with, like, the ladies like this guy. I get what he's saying, and they get what he's saying. <laughs> what a gift to start dating and be breaking into, you know, pubescence as get off is on the radio. It's like, this man gave me a gift, you know? Like, that was, <laughs> it's like... How much, how much more can the man set you up? Like somebody you never met. Rashad took those gifts off the radio and put them together on a mixtape with a specific goal in mind. So I was in college 
And I made a tape for this girl who I was trying to um, give the business to. Smash. No, no. <laughs> Knock boots. <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> and I remember I wanted to put a door on there. You own my heart and mind. I truly adore you. And I also wanted to put, but what's the up and down, just like a seesaw? Insatiable. Yes, I wanted to put that on there. I know it could be nasty with you. I wanted her to know that I respected her with a door, but I also... (laughs) (laughs) I respect you, so let's go up and down like a seesaw. (laughs) You asked what the perception was. When I gave it to her, she was like, you just think you're going to get some? And I was like, well, yes. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance, an emergency repair, or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I've definitely received and made mixtapes with relevant Prince songs on them, but it's always funny to hear men admit how much they learned about Prince via women's reactions to him. Certain men will swear up and down that they're confused about Prince, but they understand the end result of Prince. I guess it's like... I don't understand the physics or calculus of flights, but I still get on a plane. Whether Rashad's mixtape had the desired effect or not, it was a bold move. One that Prince would probably be proud of. Prince was all about breaking the rules and blurring lines. And in terms of him being a sex symbol, he broke the mold. And I saw the kind of men who got attention and realized that he was kind of an outlier in terms of what women like. And so, as I got older, when I was in college, I was like, this little guy is getting all the ladies. And typically it's basketball players, football players, pretty boys, not people who are five foot two who are androgynous. What do you think it meant that this man who was such an outlier of what we have been told masculinity, particularly Black masculinity, should be, that he was also on the baby-making playlists or mixtapes back in the day, and, you know, that he would be on the posters of a lot of women's bedroom walls. He was their, like, 
go-to for what was sexy and hot, despite him being short, despite him having long hair, despite him dressing in lace and heels and eye makeup and things like that. Why do you think he was still it and sexy despite what we had been told? I feel that women picked that up right away. (laughs) You know what I mean? I can't explain why it was so opposite from what, you know, we were told masculinity was and why that was so attractive. But I just feel like the sexy piece is just him hands down, like without competition. And I don't know how to explain how he does that. (laughs) I think it's the vibe. You know, Nicole, you said that your favorite Michael Jackson song is Lady in My Life, right? Mm Mm-hmm. For one song, Michael's able to beg and create a mood that he didn't do at any point in his career. Prince always had that vibe. And when you combine the mood he's able to set with how it makes you feel about your own sexuality, that just creates a mystique. It can be addictive and magnetic. I think for me, what made Prince so sexy in looking back and like being an adult and being able to analyze was the fact that he was so unbothered by what other men thought of him. And that when it came time for the love songs or the sexy songs, he was about the women's pleasure in a way that we weren't necessarily getting in a lot of other R&B, pop, rock songs. I mean, obviously there was a lot of begging. You know, we came up in the time of some good 90s R&B beggars. (laughs) Baby, baby, please. Yes. (laughs) But still, Prince was like, what do you need me to do? How can I help you? How can I be in service to you? And then when you have a song like Darla Nikki, where he's just like, oh, this woman came in and wrecked my world. How can I get her to come back? That was so unusual. And I think people, especially women, pick that up there's like this certain frequency of, oh, he's going to make sure that I feel good and he's not just trying to like conquer me or like persuade me to do something I don't want to do. And then that means he's a god or something. He just wants my pleasure. And I think it also gives off an idea that he has secret knowledge that, you know, other people don't, you know what I mean? And, And I think that's very attractive too. Like he has secret moves that, you know, other men don't know about and, you know, all these things that he's singing about. And I think that's very appealing to a woman's ear. I have a theory about Prince's secret knowledge of desire. I think hypermasculinity comes back to the feminine. When you think about images like Black pimps, who are supposed to be the epitome of masculinity because not only do they have control over women, but they also profit from that control. They often have long, straight hair. We'll see them in rollers and hair bonnets. They get their nails done. They wear excessive jewelry with maybe a lacy handkerchief or something like that. Madonna once said Prince reeked of lavender, which is not considered a very masculine scent. So I think he was an example of that hypermasculinity returning to the feminine. And he used his connection to the feminine to attract women. Maybe it gets a little too woo-woo for some people to deal with, but Prince had a sexual energy that radiated and didn't care who was caught in its path. His indescribable appeal is something Prince scholar Lene Denise has thought a lot about. I can bring it back to a very important moment in Jamie Foxx's life. Mm. I just thought it was one of the most important and critical, comical responses to Prince's 
undeniable power and ability to conjure. Jamie Foxx said, I can't look Prince in the eyes because I'm going to want to have him. <laughs> I challenge any dude in here not to look in his eyes and feel some kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? I mean, because he was pretty, he was like a, 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 a deer or something or a fawn. Just, I was like, I can't. I shouldn't even be telling you this shit. Right. Like he's like, I don't look I don't look Prince in the eyes. So that (laughs) that to me stood out as just like one of the most important moments and kind of like how we understand black masculinity. Like that's a bold statement. Right. But we all know that, like, you know, part of what he did is make us unlearn some things. I think a lot of men got uncomfortable with how comfortable they felt. I think a lot of men felt desire for Prince. A lot of men who identify as straight and didn't know how to hold that. Yes. And they were also very confused at seeing this man who was 5'2", 5'3", in heels, wearing a lot of femme clothing, the lace, the cuts, the styling, and still have women on his arm, still be able to pull all of these incredibly talented and incredibly beautiful women. And so when men who any other time would have identified as straight find themselves attracted to him, they get confused by that, you know, and they are upset or they turn it into a joke or something like that. And I think there's also an undeniable level of homoerotic blackness in Under the Cherry Moon between Mm. the characters, Prince and Jerome, who we know as the mirror-wielding sidekick from the time. And in the movie, they are gigolos, but At one point, we see them in the bath together or like coming in and out of the bathrooms with each other as, you know, they're in the tub. And they're supposed to be, you know, enticing all of these rich women of the French Riviera. But there is clearly something that's there's a familiarity, shall we say, between these two characters as well. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are that this is truly one of the best interviews ever in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Like That's my first thoughts. Like. You mean to tell me I have a way to use this information that I've been sitting on? (laughs) Just like, because yes, there is sexual tension. There is deep intimacy. There is jealousy and you don't know who of what. There is humor, black humor, coded humor. He started playing with us, right? With the question of, am I black or white? Am I straight or gay? There's no answer. The answer is controversy. The answer is, hey, the, the, you know, speculation, do what you want with that information. But yeah, I think Blackness is queerness in white America. To be a fan of Prince is not just about how good his music is. It's to be a fan of shaking things up, of making people have to realize they can't treat you like they treat everyone else. Almost every Prince fan is a rebel in some way, just like the man himself. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. 
Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. In 1986, Prince once went on a blind date with a fan. Sort of. To those of us who know how careful Prince was about keeping distance between himself and his public, this sounds like a fantasy. But I'm sure it was a dream come true for a woman named Lisa Barber. The date was part of the promotional tour for the release of Under the Cherry Moon. Lisa was 20 years old at the time, living in Sheridan, Wyoming. MTV was sponsoring a contest where you had to be the 10,000th caller. And if you won, Prince would be your date to a special screening of the movie in your hometown. Against all odds, Lisa was that 10,000th caller and won 200 tickets to the premiere with Prince as her official escort for the event. 11 days after Lisa made that lucky call, Prince arrived. Now, Prince, what are your first impressions of Sheridan, Wyoming? Purple. (laughs) (laughs) This is really nice. Hundreds of people gathered at the airport where he landed, and in the middle of his interview with MTV, he ran over to the screaming crowd and tossed his black suit jacket into the mix. Excuse me. While he was greeting fans, Lisa was getting ready for her date. Prince had sent her someone from his hair, wardrobe, and makeup staff to help her look her best. The date was at 6 p.m. Prince showed up about 15 minutes late in a white convertible. He jumped out with a bouquet in his hand, leapt over a fence surrounding the mobile home where Lisa lived, and knocked on her door. When Lisa opened the door, Prince kissed her hand and said, Hello, my name is Prince. Ready to have a good time? He also reportedly asked to borrow some of her pearls for the night. After the premiere, where the townspeople admitted to enjoying the film but not really getting it, Prince and his band played a 45-minute concert, then mingled with everyone. When the night ended, Prince gifted Lisa earrings and a gold necklace and sent her home in a limousine. Lisa later said, quote, he was a dream date, even if he didn't give me back my pearls, unquote. Under the Cherry Moon did not perform as well as Prince had hoped, and he never did anything like go on a movie date with a fan again. But wow, I hope Lisa Barber knows just how special that experience was. Because as we headed into the 90s, Prince was no longer so easily accessible. But with the rise of the internet and online communities, he found a way to connect with us while maintaining his personal boundaries. Here's Anil Dash again, who was lucky enough to have online interactions with his idol. He was in AOL chats with fans in the 90s. Somebody who worked at Paisley Park told me he would live stream his uh, rehearsals at Paisley Park in like 2013, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. And she said that he would look at the chat stream mm-hmm. on his laptop while they were playing. And they would be playing a song and somebody would say, oh, I don't like the song or whatever. And he would say, yeah, that guy never liked this song. He knew the fans, the fans' handles online and knew them well enough to know, oh, that guy doesn't like this song. Like the level of engagement, like Madonna's not all up in the chats talking to fans like, oh, I know what song you like. You know what I mean? Like it's not, right. there's nobody that level. And it was that level of human connection it's so funny because the public myth, the the casual fan myth, is this like magical musical elf who lived in the snow and came down from the sex palace to to drop records on us every once in a while, right? <laughs> and that was true. 
Right. And also, the real real was, this was a nerdy-ass dude who knew who the fans were in the chat and knew how all the technology worked and was sometimes in there trifling with people on the internet, too, and was as engaged as anybody has ever been. And not in the way that people are on social media now where they're beefing with somebody and they're dunking on somebody or whatever, but talking to people, explaining, this is how I feel about intellectual property law. He was both of those people. He got two sides and they're both friends. Like that was the thing that was so <laughs> wild was like both of those things in the same man, people could not perceive. They could only understand he had to be this aloof, you know, Howard Hughes type or whatever. It makes perfect sense because what we know of his personality, mm-hmm. you know, he was quiet, reserved, bit introverted, whatever. So the internet was a perfect place for him. And he was also, you know, a prankster. Yes. People in interviews and stuff, they often call him a trickster. And I've heard that in the interviews that I've done so far. He loved messing with people. He also would have late night conversations. It was always like it was 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I get these push alerts on my phone like he's tweeting right now. But he talked about like book club stuff. I remember after he passed talking to another fan who was sort of similarly engaged with him online. And she's like, I just read this book. And the first thing that occurred to me is I wanted to tell him about it. And it was legit, you know, because he would have, like, he would have looked at it. He would have read it. You know what I mean? It wasn't stan behavior. Right. It wasn't like, oh, I imagine I'm going to write a letter to my favorite artist and they're going to see it and then we're going to fall in love. It was like you would talk to a public intellectual on social media and say, have you engaged with the ideas in this book? And then they would respond to you with like, well, here's where I would quibble with the author and here's the good points that they made, right? Like, if you do that with an academic, nobody blinks. If you do that with a journalist, nobody blinks. But you do that with somebody who is a household name, global superstar in pop music, nobody wants to believe it. But he was every bit the peer of all of those other forms of public intellectual. And he engaged with the public conversation about that work at the same level of honesty and integrity and intelligence. And people still don't want to believe it. People still don't want to think that that was part of him because they want him to, you know, be the dude with his ass out on the MTV Awards. He's that too. (laughs) It truly pains me that I never got a chance to meet Prince or talk to him in person. But thanks to the wonders of social media, we did have a moment. On October 20th, 2015, Prince was doing a Q&A on Twitter. So I asked him what was his favorite thing about Nashville, my hometown. I didn't expect a reply because I'm sure hundreds of people were asking him much more interesting things. Then I checked my notifications. He had replied. He replied by typing out my name and handle, then attaching a picture of the jazz and soul singer Candace Springs, someone he had admired and mentored. With all due respect to Candace, I was mostly excited because in his reply, Prince had typed my name out and spelled it correctly. For one brief moment in time, Prince knew I existed. I have never been the same. Being a fan of Prince doesn't come without its complications, though. Prince was human after all, with faults. And his relationship with his fans wasn't always rosy. In a way, what fueled Prince's battle with Warner Brothers over the right to his masters spilled into how he was with his fandom. He seemed to become very focused on who could share bootlegs, images, lyrics, and fan art using his likeness, which meant a lot of fan sites were hit with cease and desist letters. When streaming services grew in popularity, we didn't have access to Prince's music, possibly because he wanted more say over who earned money from his work. Completely fair and understandable, 
But for many of us Prince fans, it left a sour taste in our mouths. How can we spread the word of Prince if Prince wouldn't give it to us? So we are here as Prince fans, but Prince sometimes had a very complicated relationship with his fans. Oh, yeah. You know, I always want to start with like, we loved this man and, you know, what he was in the world. But I can tell you this because I think, you know, it comes from a place of love. I did not want to meet him, really. There are some some rough edges there. There's some unhappiness there. I didn't want to see this genius that whose work I appreciate was also inevitably a man with a lot of pain, physical and otherwise, who was not always kind and was not always healthy in the way he interacted with people. I didn't want to witness that because that's not, I don't need that from him. I don't need anything from him. Everything I ever want, I got the minute he released a door. <laughs> it's a dangerous thing to want to have a connection with somebody you only know parasocially. Right. I know a thing named Prince in culture. I don't know that man. Right. Warts and all. I appreciated that he was as complicated as he was. I don't have any illusions about that. And I also know what's healthy in my life is not to be around people who choose ambition above all other things, even if that's their gift to the world. It's a complicated thing because would we have wanted for him to have been slightly less ambitious and a little more happy, even if it meant that we got less of this music in our lives? Right. Ultimately, for me, the messy parts of being a Prince fan are not what I take away from his career. His impact is so much bigger than that. What part of Prince's legacy do you most want people to understand? He saw the big picture. What people wanted to do was pigeonhole him as a certain kind of an artist. First it was, you know, you're going to be narrowly on the R&B charts. Then it was, you're a pop star and that's it. Then it was, you fell off. (laughs) Then it was like, you're not relevant anymore. And all throughout it all, he never, never wavered in what he knew was right about the world and his work. And he was fearless. One arm behind his back, he could outplay your fave on anything. He hit the note. Every time, eight octaves. There easily are thousands of live recordings of Prince, and you don't have one where he misses the note. Yes. You don't have one where he misses the timing. Yes. You just don't. Yes. You know, and, and that level of perfection, people want to ascribe to magic. And this is where I push back. He's not the magical, you know, sex elf in the snow. Like this was a man who worked his ass off. Paisley Park was a factory. It's a factory job just like his dad went to. And he clocked in every day and he didn't go home until there were hits made. You know? And and that work, that work ethic. He put in the work because he knew what the hell he was doing. I wish people could see it. I know they will someday. I mean this is the people are like, why do you why are you always talking about this guy? Mm-hmm. And it's because people still don't know. Mm-hmm. People still don't know mm-hmm. the level of mastery. You can hear the amount of love in Anil's voice when he speaks about Prince. And I'm sure you can hear it in mine, too. The intense love many of us have for Prince. He taught some of us to have that same ferocious love for ourselves. Prince of Muhammad Ali taught me that you can love yourself so much that everybody else will love you, too. It's a hard lesson especially for those of us that have an identity the world doesn't want to let us see as lovable and see as worthy. And he never compromised and never accepted it and never said, I am going to concede your view of me. And that's what brings the fans together. Prince was someone outside the box in all areas we could see of him. 
his physical stature, his attire, his music. And yet millions around the world gravitated toward him. When I look at him, I see someone who didn't fit in yet generated love. It made me realize that I didn't have to fit society's expectations of what a Black girl from the South had to be. I could be different and still worthy of love. And the love didn't have to come from anyone else. I could love myself. If you gathered up every Prince fan in a single room, it would look like the world. If you were lucky enough to go to a Prince show, all you'd have to do is look around and you'd see that there's no real look to a Prince fan. It doesn't matter their race, nationality, religion, or gender. But it's like his song Private Joy says, if anybody asks you, you belong to Prince. Next week, on the season finale of The Prince Mixtape, we process our grief over the loss of a legend and celebrate his legacy. The Prince Mixtape is produced by CNN Audio and Pineapple Street Studios. It's hosted by me, Nicole Perkins. Our producers are Emmanuel Hapsis, Beandria July, and Natalie Brennan. Our managing producer is Aaron Kelly. Our editor is Darby Maloney. Mix and original music by Hannes Brown. Our head of sound and engineering is Raj Makija. And our assistant engineers are Sharon Bardalis and Jade Brooks. At CNN, our senior producer is Felicia Patinkin, and our executive producer is Abby Fintress Swanson. Nicole Pesaru and Jameis Andres designed our artwork. Executive producers for Pineapple Street Studios are Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, Jenna Weiss Berman, and Max Linsky. Special thanks to Noah Camuso, Hannah Park, Katie Hinman, Tamika Balance Kalazni, Sonia Tun, Chip Grabo, Anissa Gray, Frank Lamonti, Steph Garrett, Graham Duda, Andrea White, Lindsay Abrams, Robert Mathers, Lisa Namaro, Kira Posey, Jane Drinkard, Liz Boyd, John Dianora, and Dina Kleiner. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.